Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Command Space. Got something slightly different this week. We have two guests. So first off, we have Mike Rohde um, of Sketchnotes fame, the creator of Sketchnotes and the author of the Sketchnote Handbook. And then we're going to be talking at the end of the show with Michael Simmons, who's one of the co-founders of Flexibits. And we're going to be talking to him about uh, the recent release of Fantastical for the iPhone. But first, let's say hello to Mike Rohde. Hiya, Mike. How are you doing? Good, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Very well. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. This is a lot of fun. Now, we've spoken before on, a, on another show that I do that I think maybe a lot of the listeners of this episode might enjoy, and it's a, a show called The Pen Addict on this, on this fine network of shows. That's right. I think we, uh, we spoke back in the springtime before the book, while well, the book was still sort of in its early stages, so it was quite early in the process. Indeed. So that show, it was episode 17, and I'll make sure that that's in the show notes for this show, which you can find at 70decibels.com forward slash C-M-D-S-P-A-C-E. Um, you'll find the, the, the links to this show here. So on that show, as I said, we, we spoke a little bit about sketch notes, but um, I want to I give people a refresher, or for people that don't know what sketch notes are, um, we're going to talk about that first. And then, as you, you alluded to there, you have a book out, which we're going to talk about a bit as well during this episode. So, Mike, as the creator of sketch notes, why don't you explain to our listeners exactly what that is? Well, Sketchnotes began back around late 2006, early 2007. Um, actually, when I was in high school and college, I did something probably like Sketchnotes, and what I call Sketchnotes are notes that include visual elements. So that might be typography or drawings or other visual elements like icons to help represent information as well as text. So typically you think about notes, you think about writing notes or typing notes and it's text-based. Sketchnotes has this idea of expanding that, that lexicon to include uh, all those elements, drawings, typography, icons, and any other visual element that might help express an idea. So I actually had done that back in my early days, and somewhere after college, as I got into business, I sort of lost track of that and began focusing mo- mostly on text-based notes, either typewritten or handwritten. And in the handwritten variety, I would typically u- use these giant notebooks of lined paper and pencils. And the reason I used a pencil was so I could make uh, erase, erase mistakes and fix them if I had an error. And I would try to capture every detail that was spoken in a meeting or at a conference or so forth. And uh, by late 2006, it had just become unsustainable. I couldn't maintain it anymore. It was driving me crazy. And even worse, I never looked at the notes that I took. So they were, they did, they had less value and the worth of the time that I put into them. So uh, in early 2007, um, I was scheduled to go to a conference in Chicago, which is about 90 miles south of here in Milwaukee. And I decided to challenge myself. And uh, I went the opposite way as I had been. So I originally had these giant notebooks and pencils. The most 180-degree opposite way I could think of would be to take a very small notebook uh, and a pen, which I couldn't erase. And I happened to have a moleskin sketchbook in my office sitting on the desk that I hadn't found a good use for. I'd picked it up at Barnes & Noble, a local bookstore, and just didn't know what to do with it. It, I thought it was a beautiful book. I loved the paper, but really hadn't found a use for it. And in that moment, I realized, hey, this would be a perfect uh, limitation to challenge myself with. Take a small notebook. So I literally could not capture every detail. I would run out of pages. Uh, And then use a pen. So if there were errors, I just had to find a way to to work with them, or it would push me to be more deliberate about the things that I actually captured. And so that actually led to the third part of sketchnotes, and that is, rather than capturing every last detail of something you're hearing, you actually start to process and filter as you listen, and you become very deliberate about the things that you put on paper, or in in some cases on an iPad if you happen to use technology. But in this case, I was using a Moleskine notebook. And so that that caused me to be much more deliberate about what I actually put in there. And the way that I would decide what I would put in was by listening to the things that seemed to resonate with me, things that seemed meaningful to me that I wanted to capture and remember, which didn't include everything. There were a lot of things that I would let pass by, but I would focus on the things that were meaningful and the things that I wanted to remember later. And so it was sort of a a reaction to the old way I was taking notes uh, by using this limitation of both space uh, and a, the kind of a pen that I was using and then deliberately focusing on just big ideas. And I had a great time at the conference, um, really enjoyed the process, found it really refreshing from, for 
coming from where I was with the big notebooks and pencils. And then I went a step further. I put those notes online. I scanned them in and I put them up on Flickr, which at the time was pretty popular. And uh, they started getting attention. Uh, the speakers at the conference found them and thought they were very cool. The attendees really liked them because they seemed to capture the essence of the event in a way that was unique. And then even people who hadn't been at the event found them valuable to a degree to give them a sense of what that event was like and what were the things that we discussed in a very compact way. So you could go through those notes in just a few minutes. So that's really, that's the core of what sketch notes are. And from there they've expanded outward. So really with, with sketch notes, what you do is, is you, you kind of highlight key um, faults or ideas. And instead of just writing them down, you, you sort of turn them into bold typefaces and, and make little illustrations, right? That's right. Yeah. I, you know, one of the one of the things that's a challenge and is fun about it is as you hear ideas and you start getting into this groove of thinking in a sketchnote mindset is that when you hear ideas, you allow your mind to see these pictures in your mind. So your mind's eye sort of develops what what an image of how you would re- represent that might be. And then you use that image that pops into your head to draw an illustration on the page using very simple lines. So, you know, one of the other things that I really focus on for other people is to not feel like if you're an artist, if you're not an artist, that you can't do this, that it's really about simple drawings and ideas being captured. So if you're a great artist, that's wonderful. But if you're just a regular person, there are some great ways that you can capture those ideas simply using exactly what you said, diagrams or typography as a way to emphasize points and to give the, uh, some hierarchy and structure to the notes that you're taking since there's such uh, there's so much more compact than, say, notes where you're writing every detail. So let's say you're at, you're at a conference and you're listening to a talk and lots of ideas are being thrown at you. Do you, do you just take very quick handwritten notes and then turn them into sketch notes later? Or do you just sort of you know, process it and keep it in your memory as you go? I, t- I tend to uh, take the latter. I listen and I keep some ideas in memory and start to put them down. And uh, over the over the years of doing this, I've developed the ability to cache a limited amount of ideas. I mean, even with my experience, there's a limit to, to what I can keep in my memory. Um, I do know there are some people that use the other method of writing rough notes first and then coming back and doing um, sketch notes from those rough notes. That's certainly an option. Or there, there's another friend who... Uh, does it in pencil first and then goes over it in ink. I mean, I think you're, that gives you a little bit more opportunity to experiment. So if, if you're, you're early in the process, that might be an option. But I think eventually it's good to push yourself to filter things and actually capture things live um, in real time. Because I think the problem with those other options is that it's going to mean maybe even twice as much work or more because you have to go back through all those scribbles that you've taken and now convert them into sketch notes. And it, in some ways, it kind of defeats the purpose in the immediacy of the real-time notes. It, I think it's a matter of just training your mind to really focus on what's important at the time and then capture that thing. And then I think the other, the other thing that's maybe not as clear is you don't have to capture every detail of that thought at that moment. So many times I might hear a concept I'm really enamored with it, and I start to draw, maybe use typography or drawing, but then another um, subject comes up that I'm equally enamored with or maybe more enamored with as an interesting idea. What I'll do is I'll leave space. I'll stop drawing. I'll leave space for where I think I'll need to finish that drawing and maybe jump to the next page and start capturing the next thing. So, you know, in a worst-case scenario, you might come back for a few minutes and finish all those ideas after you're done but at least you've got a stake in the ground that you can come back to. And I think that's another way to solve that as you, you know, encounter lots of ideas. Now, people can see, sort of, I think that your, your, um, your style will actually be recognized by a lot of our listeners, even if they've never um, really taken in or looked at, into sketch notes in the past. And you can um, go to, to Mike's website, which is rowdesign.com, which is R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. Of course, there'll be links in the show notes to, to all of that as well. But I think a lot of people might um, recognize your illustrations from a couple of books that you've done. I mean, most notably, I think, would be a Rework by 37 Signals and Chris Gilby's um, $100 Startup. Now, you did the illustrations for these books, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, in both cases, uh, about uh, two years apart from each other. 
because rework was was a hit, right? I mean that I, I, that's where I first um, came into to contact of your style, and then found out about you separately, and then was able to to marry the two together later on. Uh, interesting. I, th- I think that's interesting when I hear how people come to find the work that I do, and a lot a lot lately I've found are coming through the book rework, um, and that actually. <laughs> The, uh, the illustration work for that book actually came through sketchnoting. <clears throat> um, so 37 Signals back in spring of 2007, not long after I went to my first conference and tried sketchnoting, they offered a conference called the Seed Conference. It was a limited uh, attendance. I think 120 people were invited, and you could buy the ticket. And it was a one-day event, so I could easily travel on the train down to Chicago and attend. Um, I took my notebook, and I... I was in, in, in kind of an experimental mode. I wanted to prove that this sketchnoting thing could actually be sustainable. So I began doing it at every conference that I was attending. And this was, I think, the second one that I tried it at. And uh, it proved, again, that it was a good option and I could uh, sustain it. And my hand was actually not too tired at the end of the day. I think my brain might have been actually more tired. Um, and through that interaction, um, 37 Signals found my work and actually featured it on their blog, Signal versus Noise. And that started a relationship with them where they, the next event, they invited me to come as a guest. Um, and then the next thing you know, they had a book that they were writing and they really needed to fill it out with illustrations. And by then they'd seen my work and knew my work, knew that I understood them as a company and I could represent these ideas that they were writing in essays in illustrative form. So it was a it was interesting how sketch notes even worked into this sort of the kickoff of this illustration part of my career. Um, and in a lot of ways, the illustrations are sketch note like. Um, they're more deliberate. I've, you know, they went through a process of discussion and then sketches and approval and then final inking and building, you know, tweaking things in Photoshop. So it was quite quite a bit more in depth and long term process than sketch notes are, where sketch notes typically are. I show up, I listen, I capture, and what I have at the end is the end product. So it's not a lot of deliberation or redoing or tweaking in that sense like an illustration was. But the style has got a similar feel to it. So in that way, they're related to each other. So um, I have a question from from one of our listeners. Um, this is from UK Haiku, um, and he asks. And I'm sure you know that this is a great plug for the book. But um, do you have any quick tips for people that have terrible drawing skills? You know, I think um, that is uh, that's a good point that the book does address some of these things. Uh, but if you go and look at some of the information I've posted around the book, you can see some of the tips there. And the, I think the biggest thing is. Don't be intimidated if you're not an artist to try and do some simple drawings. And because I feel so strongly about that, that was a key part of the book. And and the, the key part of the book was the idea that you could draw pretty much anything with really simple shapes. Um, I boiled it down to about five shapes. So using a square, a circle, a triangle, a line, or a dot, you can produce all kinds of really simple things, houses, dogs, cars, cats, uh, even you know more complex concepts by thinking about how these objects are built modularly with simple elements. And once you sort of change your mindset to think that way, um, I think it becomes a lot easier to produce things. So, for instance, you know, drawing an iPhone is a square with a couple of lines, maybe one at the top and one at the bottom, and then a circle at the bottom for the button. Or if it's a little bit bigger, now it's an iPad. Or you know, a car is a couple of circles at the bottom of a square with another square on top of it. And then from there you can go in more detail with uh, windows and door handles and all kinds of things. But at least at the base level, you're, if you start thinking about objects as being built of these simple shapes, I think it makes it a lot easier for someone who's not an artist to just use simple lines and represent ideas pretty effectively. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a real good starting point. Like being able to break things down into their core elements is, a, I guess, a nice way for people to try. I mean, because as you say, most people can draw squares and circles, right? So it's just a good, right, exactly. good start. Yep. So um, you, you mentioned sort of uh, the equipment that you use. So you, you still use um, Moleskins, and I believe you use a pen called the Pentel Energel, right? That's your current tool of choice. That's correct. Uh, I still really like... Um I still really like Moleskin, and I like specifically the sketchbook option. Um, they have quite a few options now. They keep expanding their line. 
But um, the sketchbook is particularly useful for me because it has very thick paper. It's intended for sketching, so it's intended for heavy inking. And the style that I use tends to be bold, requires lots of ink on the page. And I've just found that the Moleskine is very good at holding up the gel pen ink that I use, even in super heavy application, and it doesn't bleed through to the back side. And that the gel ink that I use tends to dry relatively quickly, so the combination seems to work well. Um, and I like the small size. I like being able to pocket it. Again, you know, going back to the very first question, you know, this idea that I set limitations on myself to force myself to make different kinds of decisions by having this small book, it doesn't allow me to have the luxury of capturing too much. So it, it reminds me every time I open that book that the idea here is to be simple and to capture these concepts in a simple way. Um, and then the, the pen itself, um, yes, the Pentel Energel, um, I like a 0.7 millimeter uh, point because it's a little bit heavier. I can get ink down if I like. Um, there's a variety of other pens that I've enjoyed as well. I think the Signo 207 is one. Um, I originally began with Pilot G2s, although I've over time I found that they tended to be spotty and blotchy and and started exploring other options. So I've tried quite a few pens, and right now these Pentel Energels just have a good flow. The ink dries really quickly, and I, I like that they're capable so I can keep them in my pocket and pull them out at any moment when I need to do a drawing or write something down, as well as sketch noting. Um, I've actually, um, since flicking through the, the, the book, and I'll get to that in a bit, I've ordered a couple of Energels just to try out, because it's not a pen that oh, I've good. used in a long time. So I'm going to be trying those out on your recommendation. Because I'm sure I'll be doing a lot more sketch noting as, as the future comes, and we'll talk about that in a short while. So, um, I have a, another question from from a listener. This is from at Thorison, um, and he's asked: Have you tried any apps or pens that make sketch noting possible on the iPad? You know, I've done some experimentation. I think um, there's probably more that I could do there um, because I've been focused for the last year on the book. I haven't really focused as much on finding applications for the iPad, but I think that's an interesting space to look in. Um, I do have a couple of favorite applications and pen uh, styluses, I guess you'd call them. Uh, The applications that I seem to like quite a bit um, are Adobe Ideas, which is an interesting app in that it uses vectors to build your drawings. So in the background, the iPad is actually converting what you draw into vector shapes. And the nice thing about that is you can send it to yourself as a PDF and then drop it into other places to can modify it in Adobe Illustrator if you're a nerd like me, or you can take it to other places and it, it'll size up and down. So probably the downside to that one is as you draw those lines, they're not going to retain your original shape to them. They tend to round, like if you draw a circle, it tends to mathematically with the software, it'll try to round that shape. So that can be frustrating for some people. I find it kind of an interesting uh, change from some of the other applications um, probably the opposite of that app would be Penultimate. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that one. Yeah. Now, the, the thing about Penultimate that's fascinating is, I don't know how they've done this, but they've managed to capture the feel of ink uh, with whatever engine they've created uh, in that application. And I know that you can um, you can buy different packs of paper, I believe, to provide different backgrounds. So it can be plain, ruled, gridded and i think they've got other papers that you can buy as separate packs if you you know if having some structure behind helps you but when you export those files they come out as ping files png files um, so they're not vectorized but the uh, the backgrounds can be stripped away so if you need to use them somewhere you could um i just love the ink engine in that application it seems to work really well they do a really good job of risk detection as well so you yes. can press your hand to the actual paper um, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but their penultimate was bought recently by Evernote. So, oh, really? Yeah, they have um, really, really great Evernote um, syncing now. So, if you well, that's that's really interesting because I've I've sort of been exploring. I used Evernote early on, and and just it didn't really sync with me then. And I think I've been wondering about using it again now. Especially they've started exploring the idea of. Uh, I think there's a Moleskine sketchbook or notebook that you can buy that somehow that. synchronizes. Yeah, I have that right here. I've not yet tried it out, but um, I do have one. Of course, of course, I have one. You know, I'm one <laughs> half of the Pen Addict podcast. Of course, I have the Evernote. Mostly. Exactly. Um, but the the Penultimate, even though it's integrated with Evernote, they didn't do um, what they did to Sketch. I mean, that's been a 
sore sore fawn in people at the moment. But like, Mm -hmm. for example, with Penultimate, you can still export to PDF and Dropbox and stuff. Um, and but they've also increased the Evernote sort of capabilities. I think that's I think that's a smart move. I think it, it's an opportunity to draw people in from the outside who maybe would consider Evernote. Exactly. So that's a good move. I think the third app that I would mention um, would be an app called Procreate. I learned about this earlier this year on a visit to California when I did a talk for some people on sketchnoting, and they turned me on to this application. Um, it's got a real, another again. It's got a great engine for. The drawing and it does more than pen. I think so. The thing to know about Pen Ultimate is its focus is simply to recreate pen on paper. So that's all it does. There's some limited controls to color and so and thickness and so forth. But you're not going to get a brush or an airbrush or you know stamp patterns or things. It's just a pen. That's all. That's all it is. Where Procreate is a little more like a painting application. Um, it also supports the Retina, so you can create Retina-sized screens. Um, as well, and you can you can of course choose uh, pens and pencils for the shapes, but you can also fill in with colors and have transparency and layers and all kinds of other features in that application. And I know there's um, there's so many other applications that I I've heard about and I haven't had a chance to test, um, and I'd like to do that. I think that's one of the things I want to explore next is how can this how can the iPad be integrated? Um, one of the challenges I have with the iPad is just the size, even with the Retina. The, uh, the quality of the pen line without zooming just is so coarse that I find it frustrating. Um, it feels like it's even less information dense than a, yeah. than a book with a pen for me. And so I think that's sort of made me not as interested in it. But I think I need to, again, like when I first explored this, I need to challenge myself and say, okay, well, if, if this is an iPad, how can, I, how can the simplicity further challenge me to do something interesting. Yeah, like uh, do you do one sketch per page or something like that? You know, right. Really break it down. What about what about um, pens then, styluses? Uh, what, what have you used? Do you have any suggestions for people there? Well, I, I actually like the Cosmonaut, which is kind of interesting because it's so large, but it's got such a nice profile in the hand that I like that. Um, there's a guy that I met on Twitter. His name is uh, Ivo Beckers. He's in the Netherlands, and he creates something called Stylus Socks. Um, and his the concept is he takes like a I think it's a plastic um, he started with plastic pen holders and eventually I think he's created a custom um, pen handles. But then what he does is he wraps the tip with conductive fabric. Um, and what's interesting about this that's very different from all the other styluses you can find is fabric has a bit of a slip to it. So if you like the feeling of say a pencil on paper or even maybe a pen or a ballpoint on paper this fabric sort of recreates the feeling of a slippery piece of paper with a pencil or a pen. And I really liked that feeling. Um, you know, that since I wasn't able to really get any finer with the tip in the iPad, you know, it didn't really matter whether the tip was exactly super sharp or not. And so, uh, so that I've really liked that. I keep coming back to those handmade uh, styluses from Ivo, uh, and they're pretty reasonably priced. I think he sells them on Etsy, and uh, that might be something to explore as well. Interesting. There there's a, there's one more that I can think of, and I, for the life of me, I can't think of the name. Um, it's got kind of a funny tip on it. It's got like a clear plastic. Yep, I know exactly um, what you know you're what, talking about. You know what about. that is? Yep, I believe that's the Adonit Jot Pro. Is you that the it. one with the little circle of plastic? Exactly, and I, that I quite like too. I think... Um, the reason I like it is because I can see the tip because I realize when I draw, I tend to look at the tip of what I'm drawing. And the problem with so many of these styluses is, is their tips are just so large. You can't really see what you're doing. So this, by making a sharp uh, point with this plastic, you know, conductive point, it allows me to actually see what's coming out of the tip. And I find that, I find that uh, good for me. It works for me well. So yeah, that's, that's definitely one I would recommend as well. People would say that the Jot Pro is one of the most precise because that that circular disc is doing something to make a finer line. Um, when you've got things like the Cosmonaut are taking advantage of the fact mm-hmm. that the iPad can't really detect fine line like that um, very easily, so they just make it very comfortable. It's like using a big like big uh, whiteboard marker or something. Yeah, I know um, some friends that use the iPad a little more extensively than me. Their solution to the problem of uh, detail is that they work in small spaces and zoom in and out. Um, that's not as attractive to me. No. 
maybe that's something I need to challenge myself with again, but it just feels like too much work for me. Like I like working with the, with the canvas as it is and, and using it as it is. And uh, so it's another area where maybe I could challenge myself a little bit as well. Excellent. So I want to take a quick break to thank our sponsor and then we're going to talk about the book. All right. So our sponsor for this week is the fine folks over at squarespace.com who give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace provides you with a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining your home online, whether that be a blog, a portfolio, business site, website, whatever you want to create to host online, Squarespace can give you the tools to create it. So, they, well, you know, I mentioned that it's a completely managed environment. So let me tell you what that is. So Squarespace give you rock-solid hosting. Squarespace sites never go down. They give you beautiful templates with version 6. They're very clean. They let your content do all of the talking. And they all have responsive web design built right into the platform. They have a drag-and-drop system, which makes it really easy to customize pages. You drag in blocks of content, such as photos, videos, social media content, and more. You can rearrange them on the page and make your site look exactly as you want. You get inbuilt statistics, so you can see the analytics of your website. You can see who's visiting, how many uniques you get. You can see um, absolutely everything with that. And also you can build that into um, and view those statistics on iOS and Android apps. Um, Not only can you view your stats, you can also manage your site and post on the go from those native applications. You can import content from your current blog and easily set up sharing and syncing with social media accounts too. With all of this, Squarespace also deliver award-winning 24-7 customer support. They respond to problems in minutes and they can help you get set up with live online workshops. And they can teach you everything you need to know. When you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you also get a free custom domain name. But if you want to pay month to month, you can easily link your current custom domain name with just a few clicks. There's no credit card required to try out Squarespace. Just go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels at 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S and you can start your free trial. Squarespace is then $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month in a limited plan. If you sign up for one year, you automatically get 20% off. And if you sign up for two years, you get 25% off the upfront price. If you decide to purchase, just click enter an offer code below the pricing information at the checkout screen and use the code 70 decibels 12 as we're now in the month of December, and you will get an additional 10% off your first order. I want to thank Squarespace for sponsoring Command Space. Go check out Squarespace now. They give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. So, Mr. Rody. I, 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 whole, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. I use them for my site and love everything they're doing. So, uh, definitely, definitely hit those guys up. That's a hearty endorsement. Thank you, sir. I forget that your site is a Squarespace site. And that's one of the great things, actually. Because if you go, yeah. to, like, if you go to the 70 decibels site, that's built on Squarespace. If you go to MikeHurley.net, that's built on Squarespace. And you go to RowDesign.com, that's built on Squarespace. And they all look totally different. And that's what you maybe don't get with some of the other solutions. So um, let's talk about the book then. So when you were looking at um, doing illustrations for other people's books and getting involved there, is that what gave you the taste to create the Sketchnote Handbook? You know, I've always thought it would be fun to do a book, but I never had an idea for what I would do. You know, you sort of grow up thinking, well, what book would I write? Would I write a fiction story? Would I write something nonfiction? So I always had this idea of writing a book. I loved creating books for myself and and worked in the print design uh, industry for 10 years. So I had my hands on doing production for all kinds of things like books, but never really thought that, you know, it was ever going to be a reality. Um, And so I think being involved in the in the publishing industry, doing rework and the hundred dollar startup really did sort of introduce me to how things would work. And I think, I think having done those projects actually helped uh, sell my book project to peach pit when they were considering me since I'd done some work and knew a little bit about the industry. But um, it was my friend Von Glitschka out in Portland who sort of got things rolling. Um, I happened to go out last, uh, I think it was June, two years ago. Um, and I met with Vaughn and his wife. My wife was with me, and we had some dinner with him. And he, he told me, Mike, you got to write a book about sketchnoting, and I'm going to introduce you to my, to my acquisitions editor. And I said, well, that sounds great. I, that sounds like an interesting challenge, and I've thought about it, but it never was a real reality for me. So uh, funnily enough, we got back to our hotel, and I checked my email. And Vaughn, on his way home with his <laughs> wife driving, actually sent an email to the acquisitions editor about me making an introduction. So like mere minutes after dinner, 
um, the ball had been rolling. And uh, Nikki over at Peach Pit just really loved uh, loved the idea, and we worked together for a couple months to prepare the proposal and get that ready. And then um, and then uh, it was pitched to Peach Pit to the board, and they really liked the idea, so we proceeded. And so it's kind of been a dream come true, one that I never thought that I would maybe fulfill. So it's it's been fun to actually see it happening. Indeed. It's, uh, so the book comes in a bunch of versions and it's available for purchase now and you've got um, like a – actually, maybe it's best if you go through the list. What what are the different versions of the book that, that you can get and where can they be bought from? Sure. Um, so first I'll go through the versions then we'll talk about places to pick those up. Um, there are a variety of versions and the reason is um, not only did I write a book, uh, illustrate the book and then design the book – but we thought it would be interesting, since it's such a visual topic, to produce it in, a, in the form of a video as well. Because I think while some people quite enjoy reading a book and can learn that way, other people, you know, they, they like sort of visual input and being able to see me drawing, like being over my shoulder and me teaching some of the same concepts, maybe from a different perspective on a video might be more attractive or it might be a good supplement to reinforce things and show things from a different perspective. So, uh, so we actually approached the project from the beginning, uh, having a video and I happen to have a friend here in Milwaukee, uh, Brian Artka, who's got lots of experience doing documentary films. So we really wanted to do something different. We, um, we approached it as a documentary film. So all the, all the, all the videos are shot, uh, over my shoulder or me talking to the camera. We go on site to a conference, a small conference where I sketch note and you see that happening from beginning to end. So that's the component. We broke that into um, 20 episodes. It's about 70 minutes worth of video content that you can see. And so that comes in the Sketchnote Handbook video edition. Um, I like this edition the best because I think having both of those is going to be nice for uh, buyers. And I think the, the cost increase for having the video is, is uh, so little for what you get. I think it's the best value. Um, you can also buy the same book alone, which is just the Sketchnote Handbook. That's just the book itself with no video component um, as well. So that's option two. Uh, there is a third, and that is the Sketchnote Handbook book alone as a PDF. So if, for instance, you just don't like printed books and you would much rather read it on your iPad, then that's a third option. Um, and then the fourth option is the, the video alone, and that's offered on a DVD that you can play on a Windows PC or a Mac um, those images, uh, those videos can be uh, ripped or brought through iTunes and put on an iPad. So if you want to watch them in that way, you can do that. Um, so there's lots of options there. And um, I, again, I think the, uh, the Sketchnote Handbook Video Edition is the best deal because it gives the whole thing. And uh, in the back of the book, there is a code that you go to Peach Pit and enter, and it allows you to stream those videos uh, for as long as you as long as you like. So. That's kind of a nice feature as well if you just want to have those available at any time. So uh, so those are the different options. I'm pleased that it's streaming because I was initially worried that – because I, don't, I have a MacBook Air. It's like I don't want a DVD. I've got, I haven't got exactly. anywhere to put it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think you know what's interesting that I've observed is you know, Peach Pit has done DVDs in the back of books for a long time, and I just get the sense they're moving a little away from that for that very reason. A lot of people, either they don't want – you know the actual disc or maybe they've got an, a MacBook air, like you're saying, or an iPad where they literally can't, they have no way of watching it and you can't watch it on a DVD player because it's not really formatted for that way. So uh, I think there's definitely a shift. It's certainly probably cost effective to ship a code on a card versus mm-hmm. a disc. So, uh, so it's interesting. Um, now, as far as where you can buy it, it's, it's actually available all over the world. Um, I actually did some research on Amazon and on most all of the Amazon uh, localized websites offer it. I know I have a friend in Germany that found it. I found it in the UK. Um, I noticed the other day that it was at WH Smith, so they've got it. And if uh, one of the things that I'm, I've been mentioning this week is if you want the book but you don't want to order online and you want to get it locally or have it available to people, you can get the ISBN number, which is uh, I've got up on the site. Um, and then you can request that from your local bookstore, and they'll order some amount that they can have locally. So you can actually get the physical book in. Um, but you can buy it on Amazon. Peach Pit has it available, and uh, we've got a code that we can offer your listeners. Uh, the word sketch note will give them 35% off through 
the end of the year 2014. So it lasts quite a long time. Oh, wow. And that'll give you 35% off of, uh, off of any edition that you like, whether it's the Sketchnote Handbook Video Edition, just the book, the DVD, or even the PDF. I think when you apply that code to the PDF, it comes to about 16 bucks US plus whatever local taxes you may have. So, so that's, that's a pretty easy way to get in and have something digital that you can use. So yeah, thank, thanks for that. So it's the code Sketchnote. That's right. I'm gonna put make sure it's in the show notes. Um, I have, I mean, I have the PDF version, um, which I'd been scanning through um, because you sort of sent me some stuff previously because you gave me the great honor of providing you with a quote that you put on your Amazon page, which mm-hmm. was awesome for me. I've always wanted to be one of those people, right? So, <laughs> such and such book has changed my life, which I, you know, I love. I, I, I love what you do for a while, and I, I'm very sad that I am having to wait for international shipping. Because I have the paper book on the way, and um, even though I am I am really not a person who likes paper, um, you know, books and stuff anymore, I started looking at the book and realized for a couple of reasons that I felt, you know, I kind of had to have it in paper version. One because it would be nice to you know just to flick through, but there are like some areas in the book where you sort of encourage um, for you to try things out yourself, um, and I really wanted to have the book, the actual physical book, so I could write those in. Yeah, that's. I think that's. We we tried to make it both uh, informational and uh, sort of a workbook in a sense. So the back chapter seven has quite a few pages where you are challenged to. Once you've sort of accepted this idea that you can build things with the five basic shapes: circle, square, triangle, line, and dot. That I challenge you with little squares where you can draw those objects and you know do some experimenting um, in the book. And uh, I think you know I, I just got the book on Friday, the first copy. And it's, it, it far exceeded my expectations. I sort of had an idea what it might look like. But when I actually got it and opened the package and looked at it, it's just really, really nice. The cover is a heavyweight stock. It's got a matte you know, finish that even if it gets a little fingerprints, you can uh, use a wipe and wipe it clean, and it looks brand new again. And the paper inside is a cream color. It's got rounded corners, so it's not going to get all dog-eared. Um, the two-color inside looks really great, the black with the orange. And I showed it to my uh, to my videographer Brian Artkin. He said, "Dude, this is like a this is like a graphic novel for sketchnoting. This is awesome." <laughs> so I think um, people that appreciate uh, comic books, people who maybe are interested in a non traditional book experience, I think this is a great is a great um, object to have and to look through. And I think I'm really excited about kids getting a hold of this book, like. My kids, my son kept grabbing it and wanting to read it. So I think that's a good sign that uh, kids are interested in if we can, you know, if this book can provide a way for students who typically would doodle to not think about what they're hearing to maybe turn that towards doodling the things they are hearing, that could be a pretty revolutionary thing. And that that's exciting for me to think of students, either young students or even college students, just thinking of notes in a different way that helps them to remember. That's 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 really cool. That's exciting. When you were putting the book together, um, did you find it difficult to effectively explain anything in the written form? Or did the fact that you were illustrating make it easy to, to highlight what you were trying to, to put across? I think having the ability to illustrate was huge. Um, when we first talked about doing the book, you know, my first initial thought was, well, I can write this text and then it'll be illustrated with some illustrations, which is you know, coming from rework and other books that I've done. And as we talked about this, we thought, well, wait a minute, you know, if this is about visual note-taking and visual language. This really should be a completely illustrated book. And I thought about it and thought, you know, that's, that's exactly right. We should really be presenting this in a visual way, not only because that's what we're teaching, but I think it's attractive, especially to people who maybe are from a younger generation that like the visual um, and it provides it an interesting way to look at it, but still teaching something at the same time. So I think having that ability, like you said, to illustrate my concepts really helped me a lot. It helped me to, it forced me in a way to be very specific about what I was trying to teach and then express it in ways that were either um, very visual or and a lot of times, you know, I tend to use humor to teach as well. So there's some really funny little tidbits here and there and hidden gems that you can look through and find. And that's really fun to me. It felt like I was doing uh, comic books when I was a kid, when I would do these stories for my friends. It felt like I was doing that, except I was doing it for something I love, sketch notes, and I was doing it for the world, basically. So that was 
that gave me lots of uh, opportunity to really express myself clearly, I think. So, and what was the actual process of writing the book like? How, how did you experience that? Did it, did it feel different to how you expected a, a book to be? You know, I had no concept of what a book, writing a book would be like. I only had this experience of having worked with other authors and taking their text and then turning it into something. I think that helped me. I think having done rework and such a, doing a large project and working through that process helped me. And the funny thing was, is that, um, as I was writing the book, I actually had to start the video. And at first that was frustrating because I didn't know what the book was going to say. I mean, it was still being built and I was providing these rough drafts to the, to Gabe Wallenberg, who did the script for the video. And I, I, I told him, I, you know, I've, this is pretty close, but it may change. And so it was sort of a, um, an organic project in that sense that he was taking things as I was coming up with them, just the text part, and then converting that and revisioning that as a video. So it sort of has its own life and its own way of being, but it's, and then the interesting thing about this sort of organic way of producing the, the book and the video was as we started shooting the video in specific, um, doing the on-site where the camera follows me to this conference and it shoots over my shoulder as I sketch note. Um, that actually came in handy when I got to the point of illustrating the sketch note process because I could go back and stop the video and see, oh, I drew that first, and I drew that second, and I drew that third, and then it gave me an opportunity to think through, oh, that's right, I was thinking about this thing when I wrote that, and then I was able to document that in the book. So in a lot of ways, the two projects, projects helped each other, which I hadn't expected to happen. Like, you know, you would think I would write the book and finish it and then I would do this video, but I didn't have that luxury. And I'm glad that I didn't because I think each one of the projects informed and helped make the other project even better. Um, and I think um, one of the things that I thought originally was to finish one chapter of the book all the way from beginning to end, all the way to final art. But as I began to move in that direction, I realized, wait a minute, that's not the process that I take for any other work that I do. I always do pencil sketches and reading and, and concepting first and work towards the final. And it makes much more sense for consistency to do all these things in batches. So doing the writing first, and then taking the writing and sketching every chapter in pencil, getting feedback. And then once that's solidified, then doing the illustrations all at once. And in the end, I'm glad that happened as well, because I think it provided a lot more consistency across the chapters um, and through the book. And it, it fit my normal process of working, so I wasn't fighting against myself. And that was something I learned a little bit about myself as well in doing that. So that was, that was a good experience. Indeed. Sounds, sounds really, it sounds like it was good fun, actually. I assume it was probably, um, well, I can imagine it may have actually been a, a nicer experience than writing a book in another means, you know, because you got to, to draw and stuff like that. And I can imagine that's probably a lot more fun. Yeah, it was. I think it was, it was quite a bit more fun and challenging. I mean, on the one hand, I had this ability to tell the story as I felt like. They pretty much gave me carte blanche. I had all the opportunity to do, do this book however I wanted, and they were at my disposal. But it was at the same time, it was a lot of burden because I had to do everything. I had to write it illustrate it and produce the book all the way for production. So it was a lot of burden on me to do it. So, uh, but I think, you know, I'm learning that <clears throat> as you get control and the ability to express yourself uh, from beginning to end, I think I'm a lot more proud of the project because I had so much hand in every little bit of it. So I think in the end it was well worth all the extra pain and all the hours and time in producing that work. Indeed. So um, the last thing that I wanted to touch on um, before we wrap up today um, is the Sketchnote podcast, which you have created um, sort of to go hand in hand with, with the book's launch. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I've watched the show and I thought it was fantastic and I urge people to, to watch it too. It's a, it's a video podcast, as you would naturally assume something like this would need to be. And I guess it's kind of like a taster for the video and the book version. Um, and I, I mean, I watched it um, and, and all of last week I was drawing little stick men in the way that you suggested. So, you know, like with the, the circle for the head and then the, like the little mm. block chest and just the little arms, the little bent arms. And it, that, it's been really... Um, it's been really great for me when I've been doing my sketches um, because it's given me an, an easier way to draw humans, which have a little bit more character, I think. Mm, yes. 
Yes, I think uh, I'm glad to hear that. And um, that was sort of the reason we did it. Um, when we we got close to the end of the book, when it was off in production, I started speaking with my editor and and they said, you know, we'd really love to do a podcast. We think that this um, this concept of sketchnoting um, is sort of an evergreen topic. It's something that never really go- grows old. You know, the there's never a version that, you know, gets overwritten or goes out of date or or whatever. Um, it's just this concept that we think we can continue. And so they uh, approached me and said, hey, we'd like you to do this podcast with video. We'll host it. You guys can have free reign and doing what you want to do. I uh, would like to do 10 podcasts to start with, 10 episodes of the podcast. And so we worked together to think of some uh, some things that we thought would be helpful for people who read the book that would extend their experience and give them more information, maybe some more advanced techniques. But I think at the same time, we thought of it, like you said, um, if you see the video and you like it, that might actually attract you to buy the book if you hadn't, uh, and specifically the video, so you could see sort of the base, where did this come from? And so what we're going to do is um, we're going to do drawing techniques, which is the first episode, which you'll have linked up. Um, and the other two things we want to do are uh, taking sketch notes that other people have done in the Flickr group that we've set up. And we'll provide the link to that if you want to go check it out and join it. Um, and the idea there is to take some some people's work and then critique it and go through and say you know, what they did well and maybe ways they can improve um, so that they can get a feeling and some feedback on the work that they're doing um, and improve that. Um, and share with others what they're learning. And then finally, we're going to do um, interviews kind of like this with uh, sketchnoters around the world and get, you know, get a sense of where they have come from and what they do and any tips that they have that they can share. Much like in the book, we have 15 uh, featured sketchnoters from around the world, from the UK, from Australia, from the US. Uh, in the book, I'd like to have some of those people on the podcast to maybe go in a little more depth about how they began and some tips and ideas that they have that they can share with the viewers of the podcast. Awesome. And um, the first episode is out now. You can uh, find it. Um, It's up on YouTube. We'll provide that link. And there's also a place you can subscribe at peach pit. And uh, we're, we're on a release schedule about every two weeks. So I think around the beginning of January, we'll release the next one and it'll be two weeks every two weeks after that, so that it'll run till uh, about the beginning of May, something like that. Which is great. I mean, it's a great way for people to start as well, I think. Yeah, and I think if it's popular, you know, if you like it, certainly let uh, Peach Pit know and let us know, because I think if they see that this is a popular thing, they'll just extend and we'll just keep on going. So that's that's my goal is to make the podcast so popular that they can't stop it. So <laughs> as wheels keep on turning. That's right. <laughs> So I've got a couple of last questions before we wrap up from from the audience. Um, uh, one question is from Damon Lee Turks, and he's asked that now the book has launched and it's out there, what's next for, for Mike Rudy? Well, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity in the book itself and sort of explaining it and getting the word out about it. I think the podcast is one little piece of what that looks like. Um, I'm really interested in this idea of doing workshops where we can have a small workshop of people and work through these concepts and maybe go into some advanced techniques. And then, you know, I and maybe some other people can be there to uh, provide guidance and feedback right on the spot. In a, you know, in the book, is, it's sort of a good starting point. And uh, some people might like to have a more uh, intimate, uh, small-scale uh, time where we can actually go in, in detail and talk to their specific questions and their situations. So I think that's certainly something else. And I'm kind of keeping it open. I think um, just sort of letting things happen as they will and being aware of what opportunities are opening up and then uh, taking those where they'll go. And uh, the last last thing from At Tophias has asked, just a, a quick question. Does living in Milwaukee affect the amount of work you have got as a designer or is the digital age kind of meant that that's not an issue you know for me i think it's been actually a benefit um i'm comfortable where i am i have family here and friends here and a life here and i really like my city i promote it if you follow me on twitter you'll see me talking about it all the time and if you come to the town and reach out to me i'll take you to lunch someplace nice (laughs) um and i'm i'm quite proud of it i think you know it's got a nice balance it's in a way like portland or it's sort of a small to medium city so it's got all the benefits of a big city but it's a little smaller and a little more friendly and 
you know, things are easy to get to. Um, but I think as far as work goes, I subscribe to the idea that um, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen talked about in Rework, this idea that the best people are all over the place. Um, and it's been the limitation for me, I think, Probably the reason that it's not been a problem is because I like to communicate. Um, so even with the design work I do, I'm pretty verbose and descriptive about the work that I do for people. So as I sketch, as I do final work, as I work through projects, um, I'm pretty descriptive and I like to provide rationale for everything that I do. So in that sense, you know, having email or even a phone call or a Skype session um, is plenty enough for me to describe and to share um, what it is that I'm thinking. And so I think that's allowed me opportunity to do some work for people all over the world. And I, I'm i very much internationally minded. I've been to Europe many times, mostly Germany, and you know that's shaped my mindset. And so I'm very, I'm very aware and interested in people from other countries. It gets me excited to have that international focus and opportunity. So I sort of seek out these opportunities to work with people all over the place. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for joining me, sir. Tell, tell the good listeners where they can find you online. Well, probably the best place to go first is uh, my website, rodesign.com, R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. Um, if you want to see the stuff that I talk about every day, um, I'm, I'm on both Twitter and app.net under rodesign, R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N. And uh, those are pretty good places. Um, if you want to see the Sketchnote Army, which is a showcase of people's work on the web, that's uh, sketchnotearmy.com. You can see all kinds of work up there. Go back in the archives and see how other people approach this idea of sketchnotes and what interesting things they do with them. Um, so I think those are good places to, to reach out. And please you know, reach out. And if you, if you bought the book, I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, I'm learning from all kinds of people, all kinds of things. And I love to hear your feedback. And if you, uh, probably the biggest request I could say ending the podcast, if you read the book and you like it, go on Amazon and leave a review. Apparently, that's quite impactful yeah. on the sales of the book. So if you've got even just a couple of minutes to do a short review, I would so appreciate that. I think that would be so helpful. And, you know, do that and share the book with others. If you like it, you know, pick up a copy for someone else and let them enjoy it too. Excellent stuff. Mike, as I say, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a, been a real pleasure to have you, sir. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity, and I hope people just really uh, enjoy and, and find a, a way to learn and capture notes in a different way that works for them. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Mike. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So I'm now joined by Michael Simmons, one of the two co-founders of Flexibits. Hi, Michael. Hello, Mike. How you doing? I'm very well, my man. Very well. So thanks for jumping in and joining me very quickly. Yeah, no problem. I felt, you know, it was, I thought, you know, with a launch of Fantastical on iOS, which you guys are responsible for, there's no way I could let you go with, you know, without having to get to talk to you and chuck you in on the end of one of my episodes. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. So this was an app. So Fantastical came out last Thursday. That yeah, right? that's right. Came out Thursday, November 29th. So you guys, I mean, how long, have you been, how long had you been working on Fantastical for iOS for? Well, Got to rewind a little bit. We had the Mac version, of course. That yeah, came out in May 2011. Mm-hmm. And then we did a lot of updates and you know, upgrades, features on that. Um, if you fast forward to or, or rewind back still or fast forward from when it came out to the beginning of 2012, we started working on our second Mac app, which is a contacts app. Uh, we've teased about it a little bit. We have a dribble shot, but we're not saying much more than we're working on a contacts app for Mac. But we started working on it and then about Five or six months in, we had an idea for the day ticker, which is, of course, the scrollable area to go through your agenda. And it was so compelling that we built a prototype and it kind of got infectious and we took over and, and here we are. And it basically, the whole development was just under six months. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Six months. I can't believe yeah. that. Because, yeah, I mean, it I, came together really quickly. I think probably all of our audience, if not that they're fools, I tell you, fools, have, have got to have been playing around with the app. And I am really surprised that it only took you that long to develop. Thanks. Yeah, it, it was, it's pretty amazing how quickly it came together. I mean, of course, we had stuff like our engine from the Mac app, mm-hmm. and we had stuff that I don't want to say was pre-written, so to speak, because we had to do other stuff, but it all came together really quickly. That's that's I guess, shows the how great the platform is right that you can use some of that infam- you know use some of that code to build an an app on a on a different device i mean that's that's pretty cool 
Thanks. Yeah, it just it, like I said, it came together really quickly. We're really happy about it. I mean, I'm sure I speak for the whole community when they say, you know, we are dying for a new contact management. But I don't think anybody's upset that it's been, you know, maybe put to the side a little bit for the iPhone version of Fantastic Cal because um, a, a con- a sort of calendar management on iOS is just as bad. Like literally, I think like a week before um, I saw you guys. Um, when I saw the first sort of press come out for Fantastic Hell, I was I was using a, a competing calendar application. Um, Which one were you using, if you don't mind me? Asking? I don't. I, I was using Agenda. Okay. Um, okay and, cool. and I was kind of because I've been using Fantastic Hell for the Mac for a while, and I was like, I really just want an application that works in the same way, like the natural language stuff, because it's just so easy and just it just seems so much more natural. Um, and especially with like Siri and stuff, you know, to enter those events in is just so much, so much faster and, and, and a lot more fun. Thanks. Yeah. And that's the goal. I mean, we, we kind of, we're big on mission statements when we create a product and our mission statement for this one was the fast and friendliest, uh, fastest and friendliest or fast and friendly calendar app. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the goal. We wanted it to be friendly where it's, you know, something you like to use and something that's friendly and something that's also fast because you're on the go mobile with an iPhone. So glad to hear you say that because that's the mission of it. So I imagine like that the iPhone 5 was a great um, addition for this for this app, right? Because you can see a lot more on the iPhone 5 screen. Yeah, definitely. And actually, obviously, the iPhone didn't come out. iPhone 5 wasn't really known. I mean, at least not publicly no. until we were th- you know going through development. So it's kind of serendipitous that all of a sudden, oh, now we have a bigger screen to show even more events. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty cool. Um, it ended up just working out nicely. One of the features actually, so before the iPhone 5 big screen was, we already had an advantage over the built-in calendar app in that we show more events in the event list because the day ticker is slimmer and we're not taking up so much space. So even on the smaller three-and-a-half-inch screen, we were obviously really happy with how the design was coming. So then when we got the four-inch screen, it was like, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, I love really that, nice. that I can have even the whole calendar view and still see like a bunch, you know, to see loads of events there. Because, I mean... I have, um, I mean, so even though you're only seeing one day in the calendar view, I mean, in today's calendar, I have seven events and I can see yeah, like yeah, yeah. all of those. I really like being able to see that all in one shot because that was my main problem with the inbuilt calendar application, right? Is even on the iPhone 5, the, the actual calendar like itself, the, just the, showing the month view, just takes yeah. up so much space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. One of the original goals was we knew we needed more events on the list because the built-in app just shows so few. And you know, I, I use different calendars and different um, colors for those calendars. And having the little colored dots um, and, and colored lines really helps just at a glance, obviously, just to really see what I've got going on in the day. It's a, it's a very useful feature. Cool. Glad you like it. So the app launched last week, as we mentioned. How has the launch gone for you? It's been amazing. Uh, I'm not sure if you had seen the news, but on Thursday, we actually hit number one paid apps, which yeah. Yeah. is just insane. Not only did you beat Angry Birds, they mm. came out with an update to the app as well. I don't know if you knew that, but the Angry Birds Star Wars app, they brought out more levels, and yet you uh, still managed to topple them. I did know that because my son loves the game. It's and great. Uh, my son was the best part, I think, about all of this was how proud my son was that said, You beat Angry Birds and Star Wars? <laughs> so, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty surreal, pretty amazing, and pretty awesome. Like to, to think one of those properties on their own is a giant, but put them together. I mean, it's like you know, it's the David and Goliath story, right? You, you guys just come in and destroyed them. Which is incredible to think, you know, to get to number one on that day. I mean, I think Thanks. you guys got up to number two in the UK store as well. I mean, it's it must have been a it must have been a real sort of head spinning moment. Yeah, I mean, just so you know, during testing, and I showed it to some friends and trusted companions and all that, and everyone said, "Oh, this is going to be in the top ten for sure. This is going to be in the top ten for sure." And look, I, I know I made a good app, and I know that we did a great job, but for me, you know, the goal wasn't top 10. The goal was making something people love. So when everyone was saying it's going to hit the top 10, I was like, that'd be great. Like, that'd be nice. So the fact that it's actually done it, now I see it with my own eyes, makes it even better because I guess, look, everyone wants to be number one or everyone wants to be at the top of the charts. But I think if you shoot for that, you don't make good products. And I've always learned that throughout my life, like, especially looking at Apple as a inspiration, you have to worry about the product first. Everything else will follow later. 
What about um, the press reaction? How how did how was that? Did you was was that as you expected or hoped or more than? Um, I, again, everything has just been beyond our wildest dreams. We we made something again that we thought was really cool and that people would like, and it would help them be more productive and make their lives better and make their iPhones better. And then it turned into uh, you know this amazing launch. What's next for Fantastica? I mean, have, have so, you got ideas planned for the app's future? So basically, um, we're going to get back to our contacts app for the Mac. I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really itching to finish it because we were so close to the end. I mean, we weren't like weeks away, um, but we were, we were basically um, – we, we were so close that you know, now we're, we're itching to get back on it because we have an app that's basically done. Um, so anyway, we, we will probably get back to that. Right. Has, has this changed the business of Flexibits at all? Like, had you previously considered yourselves a Mac development company and now, like, your your Mac and iOS? So we've we always had the plan to do Apple apps. You know, we always wanted to do an iPhone app. I mean, when we started Flexibits, we would have loved to do Fantastical for iPhone. We just didn't have a solution that we felt would be a better calendar app. The built-in calendar app is actually pretty good. So it wasn't like we were looking at it, but when we looked at iCal at the time, because we started development on Fantastic Alpha Mac in 2010, we knew that we had to improve iCal. iCal just sucked. I mean, it was just bad. It was a bad experience. A lot of clicks, a lot of, ta- you know, just basically there's a lot of work to get an event in there. So anyway, um, yeah, so, I mean, we always had the plan to do, you know, Apple apps, whether that be Mac, iPhone, iPad. Everyone keeps asking for an iPad version of Fantastic Alpha. Of course, it's something we'd like to do, but right now there's just nothing to announce. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you, like, right after the smoke kind of settles and we kind of get the iPhone version, there's some bugs that we're working on an update for, a really, a really big hot fix right now for some users. It's very few users, but it doesn't matter. They're getting crashes, and that's bad. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's the worst. So we're working on that. We'll get to some features, and then we'll quickly get back, uh, hopefully, to the Contacts app for Mac and then continue from there. Wow. I mean, it's, it's cool. Um, I think, you know, we, we all love it when we can see... Um, a small developer like you guys have a great success. I mean, Fantastical kind of wowed people right out of the gate, right? Because it was something different and the way that it worked. And, and it's really cool to see that you're able to release new products like the iPhone version and continue to, to sort of innovate and, and make something really exciting. But then the only problem for you guys is now everybody wants everything, right? It's like, it makes me think of Tapbots. You know, every time they released a new version of their app, you know, like they released um, for the iPhone and they really, you know, everyone's like, great, can we have iPad now? And then they released the iPad version. Great, can we have the Mac now? Like, it's like that sort of idea, right? There's only a couple of you and people just love your app so much that they want them everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, I feel that's great. I mean, again, our goal is to make apps for people that make their lives better, that really are things that help their devices be better. If, if you're writing software, you have a goal and an obligation to make things better, not worse, right? To have user experiences that'll make the app more functional and friendly, not harder and meaner, right? Yeah, exactly. And we run into these apps that we just can't even believe how frustrating they are, how bad the experience is or whatever, so I, I, I hope so. I mean, our goal is definitely to have people, you know, I, there's a great quote from Walt Disney that says, um, I don't make films to make money. I make money to make films. Yeah. And I feel the same way. Like it, the success is amazing and the charts are amazing. And we're so glad people love our apps. But at the end of the day, we're making money to make more apps. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the great things um, about like Fantastic Alpha iPhone is that you've made an application that for many people, they replace the inbuilt Apple application for that must be a good feeling yeah i i it me it's all amazing i mean we get feedback even from people who've used other apps such as agenda or whatever that'll say oh i want this feature and we don't have it and there's certain features that we're going to resist on and it's not that we're going to resist for the sake of resisting we're going to resist because it's the wrong decision but you know not every app will have everything everyone wants and you don't want to add every setting to have it be an app for everyone it needs to be appropriate focused and functional Indeed. Now, you do a podcast of your own as well, right? I thought I must mention that before I let you go today. Yeah, thanks for the plug. Appreciate it. Yeah, Identical Cousins. I do it with my cousin Brent Simmons. And if anyone wants to listen to it, they can just go to identicalcousins.net, I-D-E-N-T-I-C-A-L-C-O-U-S-I-N-S.net. And then, of course, i got to do my plug for Flexibits, just flexibits.com, F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S.com. It's a very talented family. Apparently, <laughs> apparently. The, uh, the Simmonses are the... Uh, 
the coders of the world and designers. And um, yeah, and also people can follow me on Twitter at MacGuitar, at M-A-C-G-U-I-T-A-R. And, you know, I love chatting with people, obviously. So, you know, if you want to follow me and hear some funny, stupid, crazy, wild things, why not do it? Yeah, I just wanted, I'm just really pleased that I got to talk to you, Michael. I mean, I want to congratulate you on a on a great launch, and um, and I hope that anybody that hasn't downloaded the app for some crazy reason now rushes to the store and does that. And uh, best of luck with everything um, in the future wow. for FlexiBits. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to us. And thanks for your support and uh, for the kind words and having me on. No problem. That was really great to have Michael and Mike on today. I hope you've really enjoyed this episode. When I first started uh, thinking about Command Space, this was the kind of show that I really had in my mind to create. So to have a couple of people on the show, you know, maybe have one longer interview and then maybe a shorter interview with someone like a developer, you know, like Michael Simmons, he's just released a great new app. This is the kind of show that I thought that I would always want to create um, and maybe have a couple, maybe two, three people on an episode talking about a bunch of different things. So I'd really like like to know what you guys think about this um, please get in touch with me and you can ping me on twitter i'm imike i-m-y-k-e or send me an email by our contact form at 70 decibels.com forward slash contact and let me know if you like this sort of format it's something i'd like to try and adapt as the show continues to grow and it means we can have more repeat guests you know as if you know if mike has an update to his uh to the sketch note handbook we'll get him on we'll have him for five minutes to talk about that and i'd really like to build that sort of talk show that late night talk show aesthetic that i'm trying to build of command space so next week we're going to be joined by neelai patel of the verge i'm really excited for that interview it's the first time i've been able to speak to neelai so we're going to be obviously be talking about the verge and talking about his history um there so that's going to be really great so thanks very much to to mike Rody and michael simmons uh, for joining me today thank you all for listening to this week's episode of command space until next time bye-bye